1: The wonderful thing about mentoring relationships, they struggle with a lot of the same things that I do. They're going to be here for me. They're not not going anywhere.
2: It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood,
0: and my good friend from days long gone, Dale Culver. How you doing, man? I'm doing awesome. Hey, man. Hey, before we get into our interview, I want to make sure we, we're going to do something different today. We found a, a couple shirts that are made for the ladies. They're pink Men in the Arena shirts and a v-neck, and we want to give those away to the ladies. So we want to get them to our website. We have a survey for them to fill out. So if you are a lady or you want to get a shirt or a chance to win a shirt for your lady... Go to our website, and we've got a couple questions that your wife needs to answer, or 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 any woman needs to answer. So if you head on over, that'd be great. And I got to tell you, I'm really excited about today's guest. He wrote a book. I've written, I've read two books on this topic. One by a guy named Bob Beale, and then this book, and this is so powerful. And it's maybe the Achilles heel of men that men don't do what this book is asking them to do. And I think every man needs to put this book in his library. It's that important. So I'm really excited to bring this guy on. But before I do that and introduce our guest, what's the man word for today? The man word is influence. Oh, whatever. You're so vanilla. I was just gonna okay. Go are we ahead. Are you going to guess that? I would have guessed it. I oh, didn't even try. I didn't feel like awesome. guessing today. That's Why awesome. did
3: you go with influence? Oh, okay. Besides, that's part of the book title. It is part of the book book title. But uh, I uh, we are influencers. We influence. You know, it's funny. I don't even have to tell my kids. Uh, I don't remember talking much about politics, but my kids would come in and go, "Dad, um, can you just fill this out for me, or just take a picture of yours?" Because I, I believe the same way you do. Mm. Um, we influence them sometimes without even saying things. So yeah. we gotta, we gotta uh, take that seriously and think about all that we do and say because those around us are looking to us. Uh, whether they know it or not, for direction. Yeah, I'm reminded of Paul who said, "Follow me as
0: I follow Christ." Right. Hey, Paul, they were already following you, buddy. <laughs> you know what I mean? You didn't have to say it, but thanks for the reminder. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. hey,
3: I want to. Uh, do you have a uh, when a man gets it story? We call him Wamji. But when a man gets it, do you have a story? Yeah. So we sometimes we will read reviews that guys send us in, and we have a Wamji story. Well, this is one and the same. And uh, this, I don't know if you know that your your uh, name is this on on the iPod. Uh, podcasting uh, name, username, or whatever, but it's seven five six seven eight eight five two. A lot of times, these guys go, "I had." He must no idea. be
0: married to Jenny. <laughs> yeah.
3: Eight six seven. Sometimes five, three, guys say, "Hey, I don't even know how that got there." So that's why I yeah. say all Maybe that. Maybe he just
0: got out of prison. Come on, take a break.
3: We love that you, you said that uh, this ministry has changed my life and consequently affected the life of my daughter and my friends and family. So, man, hey, thank you for that. Seven five six seven eight eight five two. Jenny, Jenny, <laughs> Ooh, cannot um, turn. what that. we okay. want you to do now is just go to our website, go to the contact form and fill that out and say, hey, you read my review and uh, we'll send you out some swag. We'll connect with you. We just appreciate that. And guys, we just uh, encourage you to go and uh, send us a positive review.
0: Hey, thanks, guys. Keep them coming. We are really encouraged. We see God changing your life and those around you because when a man gets it.
3: Everyone wins.
0: Hey guys, I want to brag about our new guest today, new friend Bill Hendricks, 65 years old from Dallas, Texas. We get a lot of guys from Dallas lately with the whole Parmas Keepers thing coming on. Yeah. Uh, he's married to his beautiful wife Lynn for the last 11 years. He's going to tell you that story. And he is the president of the Giftedness Center, a Dallas-based consulting firm that specializes in organizational effectiveness and individual career guidance. That is intriguing. He is the author or co-author of 20 books. He's written numerous publications, shares his thoughts regularly at BillHendricks.net. Bill is also the author of our book for today, Men of Influence, The Transforming Impact of Godly Mentors, that he co-authored with his father, the late Dr. Howard Hendricks, who I actually loved reading his materials as well. So, uh, Bill, it's great to have you on the show, friend.
1: Jim, Dale, good to be with you guys. Thanks.
0: Hey, man, we're just going to throw you into the fray, man. We've got so Uh, much to unpack here. Can you tell us your story? Uh, Tell us a little bit about Lynn, and and when people see 11 years, they go, oh, 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 is this guy divorced? What's his story? Uh, Can you just unpack that for us in a couple minutes?
1: Absolutely. Lynn was a gift uh, from God to me. Uh, My story is I had married when I lived in Boston, Uh, a woman named Nancy and we were married for 23 years. She bore me three incredible daughters that are just the pride of my life at this point. Um, In 1993, just maybe weeks uh, after I'd turned uh, 40, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And for the next seven years, we battled that disease together. And then finally in October of 2000, uh, the Lord took her home. And that was, that was severe. But the most severe thing about it, Jim, was I instantly was plunged into this thing called single parenting. I mm. had three daughters who were 15, 13, and 8 at the time. And my new assignment was to get them into adulthood. Um, and so I did as a single parent dad. And just about the time the little one was leaving the home, uh, the Lord brought Lynn along. Some friends uh, uh, thought we would uh, should eat and it's a long, long story, but basically a a dinner party was arranged and we met and started dating and then, and then got married. And, and so we've been married for about 11 years. And, and, I think, you know, it's, it's been a gift in the, in the sense that I I like to say the forties kind of took out my, uh, or the uh, Nancy's cancer took out my forties and then single parenting kind of took out my fifties. And at age 60, roughly, you know, I kind of got my life back and Lynn was kind of part of that in that the Lord said, "Okay, I, I I want you to get back in the game and and keep it going." So,
0: man, I'm so sorry that you had to navigate through that. I bet uh, grief counseling is something you're passionate about these days.
1: Well, I really am. I, I like to say I have a 20 year PhD in grief and loss. Yeah. In, in fact, you know, we're talking about men of influence today, but but I actually did write a book with Moody, uh, not not so much about grief, although it certainly factors into the story, but it's it's really a, Story of how God showed up for us in the grief. Um, it's called the light that never dies. The Life that never dies. Uh, that never dies. Uh, finding hope in the shadows of grief.
0: And I would love to have a conversation with you about that at some point. Bill. Well,
1: let's. I'll be glad to come back. There's a lot of men, a lot of people right now who are grieving. Oh, yeah. And they've got losses, not just loss. I mean, obviously, people that have died of Corona, but uh, uh, you, you've got you've got other deaths. And then you've got losses of jobs, you know, losses of relationships, uh, losses of dreams. I mean, grief comes in many forms.
0: Well, we just had Ron Deal on our podcast, and he deals with blended families, and a divorce is a death. But it's, it, I would not say it's a death even close to the tragedy of losing a mom or a wife. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really sorry about your loss. Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna turn a corner here, and we're gonna throw you into the sharks. This is called our rapid fire round. <laughs> All right, bring it on. Uh, okay, okay, you asked for it. So <laughs> hey, what I did, man, is I, I, read, I read your book. I, I love the book, really. Thank I you. read a lot of books. So I'm a pretty good judge of books. I wish I could write books as well as I critique books. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I pulled some phrases out of your book that I thought were interesting to the topic of mentoring and being a man of influence. So I'm going to ask you about the phrase and just let you explain it. In about a minute yeah. or so, okay. So here we go. On page thirty-three, you talk about this this guy. You call him a small man.
1: A small man, yeah. A small man is a man who isn't developed. You know, he's he's immature, but not not just so much physically. It's it's an immature in his soul. He hasn't developed character. He hasn't developed depth. He he, de- he has no grit. He can't take a punch, and so he his life gets uh, wrapped up in anger or or uh, depression or. Uh, you know, narratives that really are not very helpful to him, and so he's constantly spending time just trying to, you know, pick himself up off the floor, and he doesn't live to his full potential. You know, it's, it's like a plant that never quite grew to what it could have been, and mentoring is the best antidote I know to, to ending up as a small man, because when another man builds into your life, it's life-giving and you, you grow and you develop and you become more mature, more robust, more capable of living into the person that God made you to be in the first place. I
0: love that, more robust. We, we say that a man becomes his best version. I just wrote a book, that's coming out in the exactly. fall, called Strong Men, Dangerous Times, and we contrast the, the strong man with the weak man, but, but that would, I could have called it strong man versus small man. Yeah. Because yeah. and he may be a big giant athlete, but it doesn't matter. His smallness is internal. That's so good, man. I I, I love that phrase. You let you hinted at another phrase, and I want and we'll just move right into the, the interview here with this with this phrase. Mentoring sure. as a phenomenon.
1: Yeah, a phenomenon is like just the way things are. Like gravity is a phenomenon, right? Like you don't have to know anything about gravity to take advantage of it. It's just the way the world is. Well, there's a phenomenon that we call mentoring. And the way Proverbs 22 talks about it, Solomon says, he just puts these two phrases out there. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. And he just lets them sit there and you do the math, okay? Well, let's think about iron sharpens iron. You got to remember when that was written was in what we call the iron age. Prior to that, all the weapons, all the implements of farming, all that stuff was bronze. Bronze is very brittle. Iron is much tougher, but it's also harder to work with for that reason. So, what you would do if you wanted to sharpen your plow or your knife or your sword that was made of iron, you would get another piece of iron and you would beat it. You'd hit on it and you'd flatten it out. And now it's sharp and useful again. Okay. So, that's one image. And he says, So one man sharpens another. And you realize, well, that means that men have an influence on other men. Like one man. Just like the, the, the iron beats on the, on the iron and sharpens it, a man, I don't want to say beats on another man, but he, he impacts another man, and he leaves a mark that sharpens that man in some way. And what he's saying there is that that just simply happens. It's a phenomenon. We are going to influence each other. The way we would say it today is we rub off on one another, right? And we can see this all the time. Who you hang out with, you start to become like. And if that's going to happen anyway, then we can either do it unintentionally or we can do it intentionally. And we can do it poorly or we could do it well. And in my book, I'm arguing, let's, do, if it's going to happen anyway, let's be intentional about it and let's do it as best as we possibly can, because we need to build each other as men.
0: You know, I've been in the ministry for 30 years and i've i've read i read dozens and dozens of books a year every year and i have preached on that passage in proverbs 27 as iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another and i usually bring a sharpening steel with a knife Right. But when I read about when I read this on page 27 in your book you said iron that strikes iron hard enough will change that iron in some way. It may improve by sharpening it, it may damage it by denting it, but it may it will make a difference. And when I when I read that about the iron age, I went, "Oh Jim, you're a dummy. Why don't you know this?" <laughs> that was so powerful. It's you know, you 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 read books and there are certain things you pull out and you go, "Oh, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that book." You know, I think of your dad's book Color Outside the Lines when I'm yes. when I'm stuck in a project, I'm like, okay, Howard said. Or Howard said, get up and walk yeah. away and come back. So I do, and it's it's really funny. So I really appreciate this part of the book. How about this one? You you, you hinted at this just now, but on page seventy nine, you uh, you 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 talk about a modeling individual. But on page thirty four, you said I've got strong evidence showing that sixty five to seventy five percent of people. A modeling individual is not just nice to have, but it is a requirement to function at their best. Can you talk to us
1: about what this modeling individual is? Absolutely. So, for the past 25 years, uh, I have focused in my work, in my consulting practice, on the another phenomenon called giftedness. Ah. Giftedness. The mm-hmm. simple way to talk about giftedness is it's what you're born to do. Everybody's born to do something, right? One person it's to solve a problem. Somebody else that understands something at a different level, a deeper level. Somebody else that wants to build something, get a finished product. Everybody has their own unique form of giftedness, okay? And when we assess a person's giftedness at the giftedness center, we go into considerable depth on all the factors that make for a person able to function at their, their best. It's really coming up with an owner's manual on that person, okay? One of the elements that we frequently find, and I, just to put a context to it, I personally have put about 2,000 individuals personally through this assessment process that we do, which is pretty involved. Um, My sister, Bev Godby, works with me. She has her own practice. She's probably put another 1,500 through. And then I've got colleagues around the world that have put probably hundreds of thousands through since the 1960s. Okay. So we got a big body of evidence And if you look across all those uh, patterns, as we call them, those owner's manuals, you start to notice something interesting. For, I estimate, 75 85%, somewhere in there, a key element for the person to be at their optimum is what we call a modeling individual, or in popular terms, a mentor, a tutor, a guide, a coach. Somebody who's doing the thing that they aspire to do They watch them and then they begin to emulate them. And sometimes they form a relationship with that person and that person begins to show them the ropes and and let them try their hand and give them critique and feedback and and open up opportunities for them and, and basically encourage them along in their process. And I have also seen out of that, that we can document for many people that this element, this mentor type person is so important when they have that person, they're on top of the world all cylinders are hitting. They don't have that person, their life goes in the toilet. They, they get another mulling individual, they're back on top. No mulling individual, down they go. I mean, it's a one-to-one correspondence. And I finally realized, wow, this is, this is something that is critical for so many people. When you figure that the Gallup organization gives us statistics that show that 70% of American workers are not what they call engaged with their work. That is, it's just a job, and some people hate their job. Many of those people are lacking a modeling individual. They're lacking a mentor, and they don't even realize it, and that's what's wrong because when they get that person, they suddenly have a person that they can see incarnating the thing that they want to become, and now they can begin to make some traction. It's that critical.
0: That is, um, that's an epiphany, in it, so to speak. We think a mentor. You, you've basically said to me, a modeling individual is a mentor that's not sometimes not even formal. I was, I'm going through the uh, pastoral epistles, uh, verse by verse, and I'm journaling it. And right. I just started two days ago, and I was in First Timothy where Paul in, starts the conversation saying, "Timothy, my son." And I thought, you know what? And my whole journal entry was called GMAC, which is Gary McCusker, who is the vice president of Men in the Arena, who in 1984 led me to Christ, and is still in full-time ministry. He's loved his wife well for 40-something years. He's got wonderful kids. In fact, his oldest son is in my virtual small group. He lives in Las Vegas. And I realized my life, I wouldn't be married to the woman i married to. I wouldn't have the kids I have. Everything about my life is because this guy led me to the Lord in front of a pizza place in 1984. And I realized he's been my modeling individual. Sorry, I'm getting, I'm kind of choked up. He's been my modeling individual. And because of him, he's never been a mentor. He would not, but he's a spiritual father. And I thought, that is so good. Um, That
1: is so good. Well, think about that. It's okay if you get choked up thinking about Gary. Yeah. Jim, because that's how deep this goes. Like something very core to you was was activated there, and that's that's how important this kind of person can be for many
0: people. Mm-hmm. Well, I know Dale gets. Imagine if you
1: didn't have that.
0: Well, D- Dale gets choked up every time he thinks of me. So, <laughs> hey, so speaking of that, you know, Gary yes. is is in, intertwined and woven deeply through my story. On page fifty, you, you talk about something. And you talk about this throughout the book called the story of me. Can you unpack this?
1: Yeah, everybody's everybody's living out the story of me. We're, we're each in a story. The best way to understand human beings is through story. I know there's psychometrics out there and and other sort of attempts to quantify human behavior. But we need to realize that people uh, are actors that are moving through time, okay? And that that creates a narrative. And in all of our lives, there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end, which is kind of the classic story form. And then on top of that, you discover... Well, the reason that's the case is because we have a heavenly father who's a person. God is a person who also has a story. And in fact, we're part of that story. So it makes all the sense in the world. However, most people have never told their story to anybody else. They, they, they haven't really gone back and said, well, here's kind of where I was born or how I came into the world. And here's what I remember from my childhood. And, you know, here's, here's junior high, high school. Whatever happened after that, you know, here's how I got to where I am today. And, of course, the story hasn't ended. It still has a future to it. But that means if they've never told that story, they've never been heard and they've never been seen. They've never been attended to. This important thing called your story is sitting there unnoticed. And, as I say it in the book, is a story that goes untold, was it worth writing in the first place?
0: Whoa. Whoa. That's a, that's, that's a hard hitter right there. Well, you know, it's interesting. Youth for Christ uh, International has built their ministry in recent years around your, my story, your story, his story. And you talk a lot about the generations below you in your book, which would be the Busters and the Millennials. And, and without story, you're never going to reach them. The four that's spiritual exactly. laws aren't going to work. You know the Romans' road isn't going to work. It's all about story, and there's power in the story. Speaking of story, I read a book about seven or eight years ago called uh, "The uh, Homer." Wrote it, "The Odyssey," and you yes. go back to that book a lot in your in your uh, in your in your book, and you talk about three people. and I, I want you to unpack this because we need to understand where this word comes from. Where, where does mentor come from? You you talk about Mentis, Menos, or Minos, and mentor. Can you uh, unpack some of this so we can have some context?
1: Yes, we use the term mentor. Where did that term come from? The original use of it uh, really is sort of classically thought of as, as this poem, that, this epic poem, yeah. uh, attributed to a guy named Homer, about five or six hundred years before Christ. Uh, the the in that culture, the way that they would entertain themselves as well as impart their values was through these epic poems, and the and there's a there's a Uh, story that precedes it called the Iliad. Mm
3: -hmm, And and mm -hmm.
1: basically the, the way it goes is that the, uh, the Greeks, uh, one of their Queens gets stolen by the Trojans. And so they go over to Troy across the Mediterranean. They beat up on the Trojans. They, they finally, you know, the Trojan horse goes in, the guys come out, they sack the city and everybody gets in their ships and goes, goes home. Great movie. Great movie. But then there's a part two called the Odyssey. And, and, and one guy, Named Odysseus, he's a king among the the Greeks. He didn't go straight home. He and his men get in his ship, and they go all over the Mediterranean. They have all these adventures. He eventually gets home, but he's got more stories to tell, and he's a lot wiser. Okay, and he has a young son named Telemachus. That he's he went to the wars right when Telemachus was a newborn, and he's gone for twenty years before he comes back. And in in the the way that the story is traditionally told, mentor is a close friend of Odysseus, who he leaves in charge to raise his son, Telemachus, to get him ready to take over as king, okay? And so from that, we get this idea that there's a mentor who's kind of the wise tutor, who's gonna, you know, develop somebody, okay? Well, it doesn't exactly work that way in the tale, uh, in truth, it's it's a goddess named Athena yep. who disguises herself as mentor, but we won't go into all that detail. But here's the point. What Telemachus needs is what is called uh, menos, which, which means uh, character. It means courage. It means uh, he, he needs strength. He's, he's scared, basically. You call it His a father's heroic gone. mind.
0: A heroic, a heroic mind, mind.
1: Yeah. absolutely um you, you you know you think about an athlete today we will we'll say gosh that guy took over the game he, he turned the tide on the field right or the court you know the, some of these incredible players uh you know who who will their way to a win when it seems impossible that's Menos, okay and what telemachus matt uh, lacks is Menos, and and so what mentor, uh, Athena does through mentor is impart this heroic mindset to where he believes, no, I can win. And, and he starts to grow and develop. Well, I find that's true for a lot of men these days. Mm. We don't think we can win. We don't, th- we don't think we have what it takes. You know, we, 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 we look at all of the things that are against us and we assume the battle's over before we get started. And what we most need is another man to come along and say, listen, you have everything you need. God has put you here for a purpose. I'm going to walk alongside you. You're going to do the work. You're going to do the walk. But I'm going to walk alongside you. I'm going to encourage you. Uh, I'm going to be here for you. We can do this. You can do this. And the person starts to think, well, maybe somebody does believe in me. Maybe I should start believing in myself. Next thing you know, they start making progress.
0: You know, that... I don't we may have to do a double interview here because there's so much to <laughs> unpack here. No, really, it's it's not just unpacking your book, it's unpacking a life and a lifestyle. You know, John Eldridge in his book Wild at Heart said, The question every man is asking is, Do I have what it takes? Absolutely. And oftentimes their answer is no. But the mentor says, Yes. Now you didn't say this, but this is in your book. On page 55, you said the word mentor actually means, quote, he who connects mentally. Now, let's think about that for a second. It goes back to the heroic mind. A mentor br- comes in and says, I believe in you. You can be your best version and connects mentally with the protege. You wrote, Athena connects uh, I, with, I, I, you, I call it Telemachus, but you said, te- I can't remember how you pronounce it. I, my brain just goes to Telemachus. Mentally, Athena connects with him mentally or inwardly, to perceiving who he truly is and what he is destined to do. Do you want to unpack that some more? That's gold, beautiful.
1: Yeah. And the best way I can do that, uh, you mentioned my dad, Howard Hendricks. He was, he was a genius of a teacher. Yes. Uh, he taught at Dallas seminary for 60 years and many of his students, I've had the benefit of knowing, and many of them have been mentors for me. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, One of the things that I've heard, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. Guys will say to me, you know, I studied under your dad. Bill, your dad believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. You know, dad was just massively committed to mentoring and he practiced it. And that's the fruit of that. He saw something in this person when they were younger. They didn't have a heroic mindset. They didn't think they could do it they didn't know their gifts they were messed up in terms of you know you talked about a small man they're 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 distracted by the, the the stuff in their past and so forth what dad could see was you have something to offer the world that God's given you and he would often help them discover that he'd help he'd sometimes name it you know he'd sometimes call it out and they're like who me but then when they started to live into it they would discover oh my god She's right. And so he imparted to them just what you said uh, a a, a sense that they had what it takes to make it in the world.
0: Well, it's interesting to watch, and I did not know this until our interview to watch your dad's DNA go down through the the line. So in your book, you talk about a guy that your dad taught and mentored named Gene.
1: Gene Getz, right? uh, Gene
0: Getz, who has written a book called uh, The Measure of a Man, which has sold four million copies, I think. he We personally use our his Life Essentials Bible as our man Bible. He's allowed us to brand it and sell it, at, and he Excellent. gives us a great deal. Uh, he planted a, ch- uh, a fellowship Bible church with 500 church plants around the world, and he listed your dad as one of his mentors. And so yeah. look at the influence, how it's still passing down. So, so talking about your dad, speaking about your dad... Uh, tell us, tell us why, you know, you wrote this book with your dad. Your dad passed away how many years ago? In 03? He passed
1: away in 2013.
0: Oh, 13. I knew there was a three in there. Why did you decide to rewrite this book seven years later?
1: Yeah, let's go back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'll, you'll remember back at the height of the promise keeper's era. Yes. You know, coach McCartney Mm -hmm. and the stadium realms and all, all of that. Dad was a, was a, big proponent of promise keepers. He was on the circuit. He, he he spoke at many of the events and I was there one night in Boulder. I think when he was like feeling his oats and, 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 you know, he gets up in his classic way, he's talking about mentoring and he says, gentlemen, every man needs a Paul, a Barnabas and a Timothy. Mm -hmm. You need a Paul who's building into your life. You need a uh, Barnabas. Who's walking alongside you. You need a Timothy into whose life you're building. And man, that thing just it it clicked. It became a byword. It 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 just you know went out and 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 everybody was talking about mentoring. And so uh, they asked him if he'd write a book on mentoring. And and since I had done some writing with him, I, I, I'm kind of the wordsmith there. Uh, but <laughs> together we wrote "As Iron Sharpens Iron: Building Character in a Mentoring Relationship," and it, and it really was directed at men. Um, and you know, but that book. You know, was Dad's take on mentoring? I, I, yeah, some of my ideas are in there, but but mostly I was the wordsmith. So roll forward all these years uh, later, Dad's with the Lord, and uh, a couple of years ago the publisher came to me and said, "Listen, we've got a whole new generation of, of men, and 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 uh, more on the way. Would you be interested in updating this for a whole new era? Because think about how much has changed since the the '90s when when that book was originally written. I mean, the whole world's changed everything." Everything has changed, and uh, of course that, that was a no-brainer for me. I was like, well, absolutely, and so this time around, you know, Dad's name is also on the cover there because about 40% of the book, you know, is from the old version, but this is, that you know, hopefully I've learned something about mentoring in the last 25 years, and so this was a little bit more about my thoughts and insights of what I've seen, particularly as we've learned more about mentoring in the interim and uh, and it is really tailored. The first half of the book is for men who need mentors, which tend to be younger men, you know, teens, twenties, thirties. The the second half of the book is more for, for men who need to serve as mentors, which tend to be older, fifties, sixties, seventies and on.
0: Well, you know, I, I'm 54, uh, Bill, and I just entered a mentoring relationship. In fact, our first meeting is Friday with a best-selling author, uh, and he was a promise-keeper circuit guy back in the day, Bill Perkins. And I think the danger uh, of guys in my boat is we don't think we need a a mentor, but Mm. I see guys failing morally and failing in ministry in the 50s and 60s. It's almost the most dangerous time because we are looked at with greater influence and People don't ask us the questions or confront us in the way they did when we were in our 20s and 30s and 40s. And so, Correct. you know, you were speaking of a new generation. On page 30 of your book, you said personal and spiritual growth always require other people. Couldn't agree more. No one learns language apart from others. No one learns values apart from others. No one learns to think critically apart from others. It is self-evident—I mean, I feel like I'm reading the Declaration of Independence (laughs) here—it is self-evident that no one learns to do relationships apart from others, and certainly no one grows in their walk with Christ apart from others. And that's when you talk about the small man. But there seems to be, in this generation, a rising population of, quote, believers— who have rejected the local church. And the problem with that is that the latter part of your book, you talk about the two ways that men find mentors are church and work. And so right. if we are rejecting the church, even if we are so-called Christians, and I really I, I hesitate to use yeah. that because that phrase means NRA member, Republican. Yep, it means right. all sorts of things. It may not even mean Jesus at all. But what is the danger when we reject the local church, in the context of mentoring relationships.
1: Why is this so dangerous? Well, because we're, we're walking away from the mandate that our founder gave us. Mm. You know, when, when Jesus said go, he didn't say go and build buildings. He didn't say go, go and write books. He didn't say go and make nice music. He said go and make apprentices. Mm. Make, make disciples, learners, people who take what he taught and build it into their lives. But to do that, it's a life-on-life relationship that causes that to happen. Look at it this way, Um, I'm 65 years old, okay? So somebody who's 45, we're on the same path, the same trail, we're walking through life. I'm just a little further down the trail than he is, okay? From my side, I've experienced some things, I've seen some things, and they've really shaped me, marked me, whatever. I, I sort of feel an obligation for somebody who's back down the trail to go, hey, you want to watch out for this thing, okay? Or or from his side, he runs into something, he goes, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Well, you know, I've been there. Don't you think it'd be nice if I came back and said, oh, that one. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that ditch. Let me tell you, you know, what I did, let me tell you what some other guys did. You're still going to have to kind of figure out how you're going to navigate it, but I'll walk with you as you do that. It makes all the difference in the world. And of course, if if it's if it's all coming framed in biblical values and biblical teaching and true truth about who God is and who man is, that makes all the difference.
0: Well, you said something in your book that I thought was very powerful and and really fits well with the small man idea, the lack of participation in a local church idea. And I'll be honest with you, I think mm-hmm. there are a lot of guys that listen to this podcast that, for whatever reason, have rejected the church—wounded, bored, like yep. they like football more. I don't know. But on page thirty-two, you said something, and this is—I think this is critical. Uh, And you kind of flew by it, so I want to go back and really camp on it for a second here. But before we do, we want to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back at you.
2: Men in the Arena is a non-profit, crowd crowd-funded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three Ms, active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at meninthearena.org.
0: So on page thirty-four, you wrote this bill, and I keep quoting. Yes, so I hope this isn't too uh, too uh, you know, arduous here. I'm glad somebody read the book. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I think that every guy should read this book. This is one of those books that every guy should read. So, me, in fact, in fact, I was just I'm on the NCMM board of directors, and Promise Keepers has reached out to us and said, "Give us a list of book recommendations that we can put out there for guys to read, when they come to our Promise Keepers events, and this book is on there." So I felt that highly, even though we hadn't had the podcast, and I was afraid, you know, you may not like me and I may think you're dumb, but I think we're doing okay here. So uh, so I recommended you anyway, but you said this. Thank you. Meanwhile, he has never—this is the small man we're talking about. This is the right. man who's rejected the local church or the man who's not involved with a mentor. Meanwhile, he has never been helped to confront his dark side. Mm-hmm. That means he will— Remain enslaved to his inner demons like anger, fear, lust, sadness, self doubt, and self contempt. This is so powerful. I mean, I, I deal with anger. I deal with lust. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have people walking with me and encouraging me along the way. You know, because you bring these things to the light. But when you don't do that, you have them. Um, uh, Earl Wilson and his, in the shadows. Yeah, Earl Wilson and, and Paul Friesen talk about they having unswept corners of your life. There and so go. what do you say to men who may be, who may be believers, because you've worked with thousands of men, yet have rejected this concept of uh, of uh, accountability, of mentoring, of the local church, uh, the arguing they don't need it?
1: Yeah. Well, what you're rejecting by doing that is is rejecting life. Whoa. Um, you're probably, I'm going to suggest, scared. You're afraid that if somebody knew that dark truth about your insides, that they would shame you and you would be so undone that you would vaporize. The wonderful thing about mentoring relationships is that if you've established a basis of trust with somebody such that you know, you know, A, they struggle with a lot of the same things that I do. B... Um, they're going to be here for me. They're not, they're not going anywhere. You know, now I can start to unpack some of that stuff in a safe place, stuff that's confusing. I can just out with it. And I, it's like lancing a, a wound and getting the pus out. You know, it's, it's Whoa, like yeah. the relief, you know, we still got to heal the wound, but it's like that pressure is, is, is gone. I, I, I personally have a belief that uh, just, just, you know, take a quick inventory in your life. Every man has something. You're like, oh, I hope that one never gets out there.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: that would undo me. If, if people knew that one, that that's the killer. That's the, you know, that, that'll take me down. Whatever that thing is, my own view is that some godly man somewhere, you got to hunt down and find somebody And you can cry and you can be ashamed and whatever, but you have outed with that. You have confessed that. You have told that to that person. You may not have done anything wrong. It's just something that happened to you, but you're so ashamed of it. It may be a sin that you committed, but there's something in there. You've got to bring it out to the light and bring it to the cross with somebody who knows Jesus and can help you bring that to the cross so that it at least it finally sees light, and God speaks into it, into your life. You will be so freed when that happens. And I, I maintain mentoring relationships is where that kind of thing
0: can happen. Oh, I agree 100%, and I think if you're a Christian man listen to this podcast, you said something very powerful right now, and I don't want to skip over it. You said find. A, you said, hunt down and find a Christian man. I right. mean I, I have people Who's who mentor. Me. yeah, I have people who yep. mentor me in hunting or how to be a better hunter or how to shoot a bow better but but to actually go to a soul level that really matters to God that's beyond this yeah. superficial trophy on the wall thing, we need to have guys who are committed to a soul development process. So let's define mentoring because we've been talking a lot about how important it is, uh, but we really haven't defined it yet. You said in your book on page sixty mentoring has a- an aspect to it that goes beyond what humans can perceive. In mentoring, one man influences another man. There's the title of your book. But the deepest impact is not on the man's knowledge or skills. I can shoot a deer. I can shoot a bow, right? But his own self-perception. We talked about a little bit when we talked about the... Greek mythology. Then you said, he comes to see himself differently. Thanks to his mentor, he begins to believe in himself, which unleashes the strengths of his personhood and the man that God made him to be. The mentor literally used to help him quite literally become a man, and then you define mentoring on page 62 as this, quote, "...mentoring is what happens when one man affects another man deeply enough to where he later declares and this is this is going to be our boots on the ground action item for our men. I never would have become who I am were it not for this man's influence on my life. So a man, a mentor's role I'm assuming by your book here is to help a man believe in himself so he can become his best version. Is this is this the heart of mentoring?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You mentioned there, there's sort of like what I call top level issues and then core issues. Top level issues are like skills, like hunting, fixing a car, doing a budget, you know, and and mentors can be very helpful in that. I mean, we see that with apprenticeship, you know, in the workplace all the time. And then we get inside a person, a man, right? Now we're dealing with his character. Now we're dealing with his demons. Now we're dealing with his giftedness, his soul. Okay. It's very important to realize there's there's good truth and there's bad truth for each one of us. Yes, the bad truth most of us are really in touch with, you know, our sins, our pathologies, our weaknesses, our train wrecks. Then there's also this good truth, the giftedness side. Most people that that's a new category for them, and and that's another book and another yes. talk. But both of those are inside of you. But the key is self awareness and self perception. Some people are so dominated by the bad. The truth, all the things they've done wrong in life, they don't see anything good in them. And that's, I think, where mentors can be so helpful today to help. Yes, you need a savior. Let's deal with the bad stuff. But now let me turn your direction to what we call the good truth about yourself. Did you notice your strengths? Did you notice how you're able to do this? Do you realize you have potential at this? I mean, a person, only a person can deal with that level with another person to help you see things you can't see think of it jim each of us lives inside our skin right and for that reason we can't see our own face we can see every other face in the world the one face we'll never see as our own face well, the same thing is true for a lot of the the good truth and the bad truth about ourselves we see that in other people but we don't see it in ourselves somebody else can come along and hold up a mirror and say oh Bill, here's something you need to pay a little more attention to, brother. Do you realize when you're doing this, here's how you come across? Mm. Where's that coming from? Or on the other side, oh, my gosh, Bill, do you realize you have a real gift for this? No, let me affirm you in that, brother. You need to pursue that. Let me give you an opportunity on that. I mean, both of those are just uh, tremendously unleashing for what's inside you.
0: Well, it goes back what you're saying goes back to the role of a mentor to impart a yep. heroic mindset.
1: That's
0: it. I mean, think so it. I've got a book title I'm working on that's come going to be out there called Heroic Manhood. And the it, and you can and, and it's basically how a man changes his world, how a mm-hmm. man becomes a hero to his family. We believe that it, when a man gets it, everyone wins, but to be a hero, let's to quote something from your
1: book, in his own story. Yes, everybody has this story of me, and I've never met a man who didn't want to be the hero of that story. Well, who wants to, who to grow- do that? They got to have a heroic mindset.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we start off in life, we want to be heroes, not zeros, but men succumb to being a zero when they don't have a real hero, which is their mentor. You know, you talked right. about uh, a, a mentor helps a man see things he cannot see. I'm getting ready to go on a hike this afternoon, and uh, I we have hiking and and uh, biking and stuff. And so I'll be in the uh, Douglas Fir Grove for hours today. And I'm immersed in the in this forest, and I can't see where I'm going. If it weren't for the trail, and I think a lot of times men get lost; they can't see the forest because they're stuck in the trees. And a mentor is able to get back at thirty thousand and direct them, because they've been there before and they can actually see things that they don't actually see. Uh, You said something in your book, uh, Bill, that was really interesting to me. It sounded counterintuitive. You know, it sounded counterintuitive because you got to explain it. But there is a truth to mentoring that that those of us listening need to understand on page 67 you said we've discussed that ment what mentoring is and why it's needed and then you then you asked the question so where does your search for a mentor begin ironically you wrote it begins with you that just
1: sounds so weird to me can you unpack that you got to be proactive yes i mean if 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 i know that i need a mentor then i can't sit and wait for the phone to ring and somebody to say, hey, Bill, let me mentor you. I got to get in circulation. I got to put, put myself in opportunities path, right? Which means I got to go where mentors are. Okay, let's go back to the conversation we just had about church. You know, I, I look, <laughs> Jim, I've been going to church since nine months before I was born, okay? <laughs> I, I've I've And I've seen it all. I wrote a, another book I wrote was called Exit Interviews, revealing stories of why people are leaving the church. I wrote that back in the 90s, okay? And every excuse that people make or reason that people give for why they've left church, I saw it. I interviewed several score people and uh, and talked about that problem. So I get it. But, you know, churches are not full of perfect people. They're full of forgiven yes. people who are on a redemptive path Agreed. toward wholeness and health, and some of them got a long way to go. And nonetheless, God has set it up for iron to sharpen iron, for men to sharpen men. And so if you're not in the orbit of other men, particularly older men, and particularly men who just look at them, they, they're they seeking God. Yeah, they may fall short in some areas, but you look at their heart and you can tell, I want to know God. I want to follow Jesus, okay? That's the kind of person you want to start to try to build a relationship with. And, you know, I would, suggest that you sit down over a cup of coffee and go, sir, would you mentor me? Because that you'll spook the deer if you do that. They're like, mentor? Oh, I'm not, I don't know what it takes to be a mentor, Bill. No, just just buy them a cup of coffee and say, listen, man, I, I just, I've, I've seen you around. I just wanted to get to know you. Um, and believe me, uh, pretty soon they'll be asking you, well, tell me about you. And then you tell your story. Well, here's where I was born and here's kind of where I'm at now. And you know, here's some things that are important to me. And maybe if the relationship grows close enough, uh, you know, here's some things that I'm really struggling with. What do you think about this? It's a natural thing. You don't have to put a lot of pressure on trying to quote, make it happen, but you got to put yourself in opportunities path.
0: Yeah. I thought that was such a cool part of your book. When you said one thing not to do is ask for a mentor. I thought that is so good because most guys, in fact, a lot of Magnum guys out there who would be great mentors, for whatever reason, they don't see themselves that way. And so, when they're asked to be a mentor, they think of, especially if Christian, to Christian, they go, "Oh, whoa, I'm not a pastor. It's I'm just, I just have a net worth of fifty million, but I can't do this. <laughs> I just built a corporation with a, you know two hundred and fifty employees, but oh, whoa, 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 whoa." And so, but when you come at them from a relational standpoint, well, you in your book you talk about seven things that that uh, a, perspe- a prospective mentor looks at when they look at a. Potential protege it looks at: Are they ready? Are they capable of a relationship? Are they teachable? Are they dependable? Are they uh, trustworthy? Uh, you say, can they, with confidence? Are they very? Are they trustworthy with confidence? Are they someone who could be trusted within the mentor's network? And the last thing, which I think is really important, is chemistry. And so. Mm. We've been taught through leadership theory that four things we need for hiring somebody are competency, care, chemistry, character, commitment. Commitment. So, but I, I, you cannot discount chemistry. Can you talk to us about chemistry? Because in your book, you say chemistry is very important, but it doesn't necessarily have to be both ways. So, you can walk us through this power of chemistry.
1: Yeah, the 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 Achilles heel of a lot of formal mentoring programs is they they assign. You're going to be the mentor. You're going to be the, the mentee or whatever you want to call them. And now we're, we're, you know, it's like an arranged marriage, right? And so people go through the motions because it's a requirement of employment. Whether they get much out of it, though, depends on this more mysterious thing of, is there chemistry? Chemistry is a more sort of emotional thing. I, I, it's a sensing thing. I sense something about you that I is attractive. I'm drawn to you or conversely, man, he just doesn't get me. You know, I'm not going to open up to somebody that just, you know, we don't seem to connect. And I I don't know how to get around that, but I know it's important. And that's why I think most mentoring, uh, certainly that's the most effective, actually is done on an informal basis. Nobody told people they had to get into this. It just kind of happened, but it didn't, in one sense, happen by accident. It happened because either A the person who needed a mentor was in circulation until they found somebody. They said, bingo, I like that guy. I want to spend time with that guy. I want to hang around that guy. And, or B, the older person looks at a younger guy and says, you know, that guy's got potential. Yeah. I think he's got some hangups, but you know, I I, I think I want to spend some time with him. I I could help him. And, and, and it, it it starts to work. You know, that. By the way, in recruiting mentors, the, the main thing is you gotta care. Okay. If you don't care, you're not gonna be a very good mentor. But uh, let me let me mention two kinds of men who especially ought to be interested in this conversation. Number one, think back to what you said in the definition earlier. If you if you look back and you can think of a man that you go, wow, I'd never be the man I would be today if I weren't for him. And you benefited from a mentoring relationship. Well, by golly, you need to pay that back. You you need to do that for some other guy who's just a younger version of you. And then on the other side, if you're a man and you you ask that question and you go, wow, you know, I wish I'd had a mentor. I'd be a different man today if I would had a mentor. In that case, you need to pay it forward. (laughs) You need to go find somebody who's, again, a younger version of you. And even though it didn't happen for you, you can make it happen for somebody else.
0: Well, our elder statesmen are a goldmine. They're a goldmine in the Church, and We've had a lot of conversations lately about, how do we reach the millennials? And it's like, guys, it's not hard to reach that generation. They are all about story and relationships. So why really don't you is. just go down and meet one and take one to... Co- the old guy rule is the old guy buys the coffee. So even if the young guy invites you, you still buy the coffee because you're the old guy. And so that's the rule I live by. And so um, so these guys are... They, I think sometimes our mentor potential mentors don't see themselves with what they have to offer and they're, they're, they're
1: a gold mine. They're a gold mine. They've got experience, they've got maturity. Uh, they've got some wisdom. They've got relationships, they've got networks, sometimes they have assets. They have access. They can open doors. They have a whole network that they're part of. I mean, all of those things added up are just a gold mine.
0: Oh, absolutely. So now I'm a young guy. Listen to this, I'm in my 30s, or 40s, which is young guy. In my opinion, where do I find a mentor? What are the where what are the two hunting grounds where I can find that guy?
1: Well, we talked about the church mm-hmm. and it, it, it by rights needs to be a church where God's word is taught. Yes. And then of course in the workplace. You know, the, you you've got people in the workplace who've been down the road a little bit further than you have. And so you start to reach out to people there. And uh and and this is going to be particularly true at the top level things of, you know, the skills level and so forth. But I'm amazed anymore at how many people are working in places where, you know, there is a believer or two, mm-hmm. even though it's a very, uh, you know, worldly environment in, in many companies and so forth, but the Christians always stand out. You can tell who the people of faith are. You yeah. Know? Oh, and for I don't sure. How, they, how we know, but it used to be, if you were just a nice person, you know, that, that made a big difference. Now, if you're a nice Person automatically, people are going, What's different about that person? I mean, how would they do that? You know, well, there's a good chance they're a person of faith, yeah, and a believer. But uh, the workplace is a key place to begin to find godly mentors. Um, and particularly if you're in a job that's not, you know, what we call vocational Christian work, you're in sales, you're in manufacturing, you're in uh, software development, you know, stuff, uh, healthcare, stuff like that. Okay, you being a church, have pastors, but just to be honest about it, many pastors don't totally understand the kinds of issues that you face on a day-to-day basis in the work world. And so you're going to need to find mentors in the work world who understand your world and can help you navigate through uh, what I would call the ethical challenges of your work, the theological challenges of your work. Every kind of work raises certain theological issues. Every kind of work raises certain moral and ethical issues. And it helps to have somebody that you can sort of process some of that stuff, not like they're going to have all the answers, but again, they've they've lived with this a little longer and it's it's at least a way to get some input on how you're going to navigate in those waters.
0: So, hey, Bill, we're, we're, we're navigating through some waters now that are very difficult and they've created some new paradigms. What about location? What about geography? Does a mentor need to be local, physical, or can this mentoring relationship work through, let's say, a, uh, a video a conferencing call? call? Yeah. What, are, what are you discovering in recent days about this?
1: Yeah, th- I would say that uh, it, it's always going to help if initially the relationship can be formed in person. Yes, you know, which is hard to do under the COVID nineteen quarantine, obviously. But, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm part of a university. Uh, we're doing some, some graduate work, um, which is all online, okay? But uh, the residential part, we, we do immersions in global cities periodically, like once a year. So we were in Kuala Lumpur a couple of years ago. We were in Manila last year. And so I'm there, and I'm meeting maybe 25 or so other students in this graduate university, And so we're meeting and we're getting to know each other and forming relationships. Well, out of that, you you know, some people, again, chemistry, you're attracted to you're you bond with more than others. And even though these people live literally all over the world, when we get together on zoom, okay, now we've got a basis and it, and it can flow. Uh, I've got another friend who's a pastor who's mentoring about uh, five or six younger pastors and again, they had their first meeting or two, uh, you know, in a, in a restaurant or something, a coffee shop, and then the the uh, stay at, shelter in place restrictions came. So they've been meeting online. He said he is shocked at how that how deep these guys have gone online. Oh, yeah. online, and and so this can absolutely take place anywhere in the world that you you can link up to somebody else.
0: Yeah, we've had some. We've been doing a lot of Zoom gatherings, and actually, our small group is doing a Zoom church service and. Uh, I've had a weird experience with these calls that the men open up more than in person. Yep. I don't know if there's the, there's that barrier that we're not here, but I've, we've had guys crying. We've had a lot of really, really amazing things, but I do agree. Uh, my, this mentoring relationship I'm entering into, we have spent probably eight years getting to know each other and we're going to do zoom, uh, until things clear up here, but we're still going for it.
1: Well, you know, th- um, just to put a finer point on this whole thing, You know, before Zoom and frankly, before email, there was something called snail mail. Yes. I I know this is ancient history for many, but there actually was a postal service. And uh, anyway, you've heard of C.S. Lewis. Well, man, he got letters from all over the world from people and he wrote them back. He tried to answer every single letter he ever got. And so for countless people in the world, when he was alive, C.S. Lewis became something of a mentor to them. Through the letters that he would send them, and of course we have the benefit of having some of those letters today, which by proxy becomes another mentor for many of us. But my dad was the same thing. I've I've got mentors. I've I've you know written all these books, and every once in a while I get a snail mail from somebody, and I go, huh, how did they get my address? I don't know. But Bill, I read your book. I have a question. You could help me here. And I write them back, and and it's a wonderful thing. I've never met them.
0: That's amazing. You know about. Uh, Four months ago, I received this file. It has my name on it. It was from Gary McCusker, who led me to the Lord, who I mentioned earlier. And these are letters I wrote to him while he was in Germany on the mission field. And I haven't went through them yet, but letter after letter after letter, just begging him to tell me something about my faith. Tell me something about my life because I had no idea what I was doing. And you, you said this. That, that's really the spirit of it all, right? And you said on page 30, on, on 160, you said, that's it. That sums up the spirit of mentoring in a nutshell. When we men tend to get stuck in life when we don't exactly know what we're doing, when we don't know how, don't know what, don't know why, don't know the way. In moments like that, what we need the most A guide, someone who once didn't know either, but that they're now more experienced and wiser, and they know the way forward than when we're trying to learn. Anyway, I kind of hacked that up a little bit because the the way it was typed, it's weird. But you're talking about the spirit of a mentor, and let's close on that. What is the spirit of mentoring, in your opinion?
1: It's a guide. It's a man who doesn't have all the answers but will walk with you as you're trying to find your way out of the forest hmm. uh, to, to to get some clarity on what we should do here. Um, and, and isn't that really what God has done for us? Mm-hmm. I mean, when we were lost and as Ephesians says dead in our trespasses and sins, what did God do? He came into the mess with us in a person, a person who picked up on a handful of guys and said, follow me. And when he left him, he said, okay, you followed me. Now I want you to go make more followers. And just like you alluded to in Paul earlier, he was one of those followers, mm-hmm. not physically with Jesus, but later. And he says to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's really what a mentor does. It says, brother, we only got one teacher, and we're both brothers. I'm just a little bit further down the trail than you are, but I'll walk with you as together we walk toward that teacher, that that Savior.
0: That's so good, man. You know, I just want guys to understand what we're talking about here. The mentors in my life have come in many shapes and sizes. They've come through Mm -hmm. many periods of time, whether it be a coach or a parent or a friend or a minister, or uh, it could be anybody but, but there are people who who led me down a path I, that I wasn't quite clear about. Or they led me down a path I didn't see for myself, and they lit the way. You know, I'm thinking of Psalm know, is it 119, 105, your word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto yes. my path. And so I think of that guy. He's a light, he's a lamp, he's a guide. And so, uh, Bill, thanks so much. It looks like we can get a hold of you, and our guys can buy your resources at BillHendricks.net. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, and, and if they want to also go to TheGiftednessCenter.com, T-H-E, giftednesscenter.com.
0: Yeah, I'm really intrigued by that. I think that's an outstanding idea for guys who are trying to, it's almost like a mentoring default because you're helping guys see what they can't see in themselves through this giftedness Yeah, center.
1: well, you know, sometime it would be fun to come back and talk about the giftedness piece. I guarantee the number one question on, on every 20-something man's mind is, what am I going to do with my life? And And that question is sourced in the giftedness piece. The giftedness piece is sort of the answer to that question. Well, uh, Eldridge We have a way to answer that question.
0: Absolutely. Well, Eldridge and his son, in a book called Killing Lions, said the two most important questions men ask, and I agree with this, are, who am I and why am I here? Sounds yeah, like you exactly. guys do that at the Giftedness Center. I appreciate that. That's what that. we do. Thanks so much for coming on. I personally uh, had a wonderful experience of learning and growing through your book. Guys, let's get Thank some you. boots on the ground. It's, it's one thing to drive down the street on your way home commuting from work and to hear this podcast, but what are you going to do about it? Here, here are two things I'd ask you to do for your boots on the ground for this week. These will also be posted on our Equipping Blast for Men. Ask this question and answer it. Answer the question, if it were not for blank, I would not be where I am today. And whoever's name is in that blank, call them and thank them. I called a PE teacher. About six months ago, he was 82 years old. He spoke one sentence to me that changed my life. And I called him to thank him. Second thing is, if you don't have a mentor, or if you're not mentoring somebody, please consider that. Look around you. Who, who are the young guys out there that have potential that maybe they don't see themselves? Or who are the guys that have gone ahead of you? This is critical, critical, critical for you to become your best version. So guys, don't set this down. Really consider this. Pray on the way home right now and ask God to give you direction. So Dale... What's next, my man?
3: Yeah, I'd like to ask all the ladies to go over to our website and fill out the survey uh, that we have on there for the free shirt. Fill that out There's in the survey. There's some questions we want to ask you about what you want for your men. So until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And
0: find a mentor and be a man
2: men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, When a man gets it, everyone wins.